Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or... FM Translator. Hello and good morning. Welcome to it. It is uh, Monday. Yay. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that... Uh, good morning. Hi. How are you? You guys ready to go? It is that uh, most beautiful day of the week, Monday, where we get a chance to tackle all the good stuff that's going to be coming down this week. We appreciate you guys coming on board and joining us this morning. Uh, we are... Uh, we we are ready to go. We are ready to go. It's uh, just a, another beautiful day here in paradise. A blistering, what is it, 25 degrees, something like that right now. Uh, it's just, <clears throat> it's lovely. It's lo- 27 degrees, 27 degrees. All right, so we are ready to go. It's a whole, it's, it's a whole different week than it was just a couple weeks ago. And I'm happy to say that we are here and uh, here with you and ready to rock and roll for uh, this uh, this week. Not snowy here. Apparently, they got some snow down uh, uh, on the uh, on the peninsula, but things are things are just kind of mellow here. So I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Not too hot. Not too cold. Just right. Right. That's that's what we're looking for. Uh, on today's program, we've got. Uh, Lots of stuff to uh, lots of stuff to uh, go over. In hour two, we'll be joined by State Representative Ben Carpenter, who will come on board and talk with us about uh, what he's seeing in the legislature and everything that's happening there. We'll be talking with him about that here in just uh, just a bit, and uh, we'll get some unadulterated, uh, you know, kind of uh, insight onto what's happening down here. Uh, down there in Juneau uh, during the uh, session as we go through here. Um, let's uh, let's uh, let's see what are we doing this hour? Well, we've got some headlines. We're going to go over. Uh, we're going to talk about. I have some commentary, uh, which is my normal thing. I got some things to say, uh, and we'll see where you guys fall on this uh, scale and spectrum. Um, <clears throat> I've gone ahead and I've opened up the phone lines, um, just because, just because. So we'll, we'll let the phones, we'll let the phones run and, uh, we'll open those up and see what you guys have to say. 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150 is, uh, the number to call. If you want to sound off on anything this morning, we'd love to hear what you guys have to say on this beautiful Monday We'll uh, we'll get to it, and we'll uh, we'll get things ready to rock and roll. All right. So, <clears throat> what do I have to talk about today? Well, there's some good news. There's some bad news. There's some interesting news. Um, first and foremost, I guess we should lead off with uh, with this one. 
this is kind of this is kind of weird. Um, the Department of Health, the state of Alaska Department of Health, says that a man on the Kenai Peninsula died uh, back in January from complications due to a viral infection called Alaska pox. I mean, it's a re- <laughs> this is a real thing. It's Alaska pox. Um, the CDC confirmed the presence of Alaska pox in the man. Now, this is a virus that was first discovered over eight years ago uh, in a woman uh, by a Fairbanks doctor. Now, treatment of the virus improved his symptoms temporarily, but according to KTUU and a state bulletin, he later exhibited delayed wound healing, malnutrition, acute renal failure, and respiratory failure. He died uh, late uh, in January of uh, this year. Uh, in an interview uh, with KTVF in December, Fairbanks doctor Zachary Wurl says the CDC identified the virus as a novel orthopox virus and noted humans with pets could be at greater risk of infection. Uh, several of the patients who have had Alaska pox in the past have had pet cats. So one thought is, is that the cats may be the intermediary. If they're catching small rodents or mammals themselves, they could pick up the virus and then pass it on to their human owners. Since 2015, though, just again, before you start panicking and slapping the masks on and looking for, you know, looking for a jab or something, there has only been a total of seven confirmed infections, according to the state bulletin. So in nine years, they've had uh, seven total infections. The bulletin notes that the man reportedly was looking after a stray cat and also came into contact with small mammals while living alone in a wooded area. Uh, they collected uh, mucal swabs from the cat and serum swabs, and uh, they were all negative. But uh, it's, uh, you know, it's obviously wash your hands. That's all I'm saying. Wash your hands. And uh, <clears throat> be care- don't pick up don't pick up dead animals and stuff like that. I don't know. So anyway, it's uh, just you know it's not it's not the end of the world. It's not a panic inducing moment, but please be cautious out there. It's all I'm saying right now. Alaska, I hadn't even heard of this. Alaska pox. Alaska pox. Um, high winds uh, in the South Central area, uh, thirty five to fifty miles an hour, with gusts up to seventy five miles an hour today, all the way up to noon on Tuesday. So we're expecting this to be a, a blustery, blustery day, and we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens there. But that's the uh, that's the that's kind of the weather headlines from around. It's the only place in the state where they've got a weather advisory right now. Uh, so you can keep that and uh, and uh, keep that uh, under your hat and know what you're expecting here in the next uh, little bit. Um, aggressive moose have been reported on the rise in South Central. I can speak to this myself personally. Uh, we had some we've got these moose that like to hang out around the house. We live out in a cul-de-sac on the side of a hill and um, <clears throat> they like to bed down like right in the backyard and uh, so we've always got to watch if we let the dogs out in the backyard what's going on. Uh, and uh, Terry uh, witnessed the moose down on the road out in front of the house coming down to the to the uh, to the end of the road here. And she said the other day the little little moose were like 
slapping the pavement or you know the road in front of them and like charging at dogs and stuff like that so this always happens it always near the end of the year usually though is when that normally happens but this year since we've had such a tremendous amount of snow um they're basically burning more and more energy just trying to go from tree to tree to tree because they're dealing with snow sometimes up to their chests and it makes them a little uh makes them a little laundry i mean just a little bit just a little angry sometimes uh january though and february is a little bit early for this to uh to be happening of course we have a prime example of this uh troopers uh last week had to put down an animal after it uh trampled a teenage girl she was on her way out uh, i guess to the school bus stop is the way i was reading it and uh she was trampled by the moose brought to a hospital uh for what turned out to be minor injuries but the uh, the uh, fish and fur guys went out, tracked the moose down, and it was acting aggressively when the troopers got there, and showed signs of malnourishment. So they had to uh, they had to put it down. Uh, and it's a uh, it's you know just be cautious when you go out there. Moose look like they're docile and gentle until they're standing over you and they are clubbing you to death with their enormous feet. And uh, even the baby ones, you know, at seven, eight, nine hundred pounds can. Uh, ruin your whole day just so be cautious before you before you just let the dogs out there loose you may want to uh you may want to look out to make sure that there's no meese in the area so to speak all right uh so that's kind of the housekeeping stories for the day uh one final one final one uh and i know some of you in the chat room are going to be really upset about this um, and I know folks, especially up in the interior, are bummed out about this. Uh, it was announced on Saturday that the um, one of the longest Alaskan-held snow machining traditions, Arctic Man, will not be taking place in 2024. Known as the toughest and most exciting ski and snow machine race in the, uh, well, I think the world, Arctic Man is an annual gathering of snow machiners and skiers for a four-day celebration. It resembles a long, it's like a block party, man. If you've ever been down to Summit and to Arctic Man, you understand. I mean, it is a wild, wild party uh, where they get out there and they snow machine and they drag skiers behind snow machines at high speed. And it's, it's something to watch for sure. The founder and race director, Howard Thies, announced the cancellation on, on Saturday he said they're dealing with permitting issues with the Alaska Department of Natural Resources. Uh, for their part, DNR said they offered permitting options and that the event organizers declined. Um, Thies said, we started in November to get ready for this event. It's a big event. It takes a lot of work and preparation to get ready. I said to DNR, uh, you know, I think you think with your Alaska hat. These are Alaskans using this property. They're not hurting it. They're not bothering it. They're not doing anything wrong here. According to uh, Thies, the delay in agreeing on contract terms and resolving those issues, the length of time that it's taken, has caused the loss of major sponsors and the race to be properly set up in time, which has led to its cancellation. Um, he said uh, the public is not happy about the announcement. Facebook's going crazy. He said DNR really did not do their proper work to make this right. He described what he's dealing with as crazy and insane and said he could not understand why the DNR is asking for more money. 
Uh, he said the DNR has been asking for more money as the event grows, and he's added that since the four-day event is not for profit, they should not have to pay the DNR to use their land. Um, they have been working with the state on a long-term permitting, I think, instead of a year-to-year. For their part, DNR said uh, on Sunday that uh, they, the Alaska Department is, you know, they've got to do it. That if Alaskans use the land, they've got to get the permit for it. Uh, the Alaska Department of Natural Resources knows how important this is to Alaskans and has issued land permits for Arctic Man since 96. Organizers did not accept the terms of the authorization for a new 2024 permit and chose not to renew their previous permit terms. They said they've also offered Arctic Man a permit renewal for five years beginning in 2025 and is standing by to authorize when sponsorships are secured and Arctic Man is ready to move forward. Um, the lady there from DNR also said commercial events require a land use permit for DNR for using land they're responsible for and Arctic Man fees are consistent with similar events. Is there a similar event that takes up something so large? I don't know, but, uh, he said the price just keeps going up. So that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Um, it would be insider. It would be interesting to get some insider baseball on that to see exactly what's going on there. Um, I love snow machining. I've only ever been through Arctic Man one time, but uh, <clears throat> I know there's a lot of people that look forward to that as kind of their whole spring break thing. <laughs> for the, it's, the, it's the reliever for their cabin fever, you know what I mean, up in the interior. I don't know how many folks from down on the peninsula head up there, but I know that folks from the interior in Anchorage certainly, uh, and Wasilla certainly head up there and uh, and and head up there and, and do their thing. But uh, there you go. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a crazy thing. We'll, uh, we'll have to see. Maybe, I don't know if there's time to even save it for this year, even if they got it for free. I don't know if there'd be time enough to save it. We'll have to see what goes on with that, but we'll keep you in the loop, keep you in the loop on that one. All right. Well, that brings us up to the break. When we come back, education, that's what we're going to talk about. I mean, it seems like that's all we've been talking about for days but the reason for that, of course, is it's uh, it's the hot topic in the legislature right now. So we'll uh, be back with more in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. Don't forget, top of the hour, Representative Ben Carpenter will be joining us, and we will uh, see what he has to say. Back with more of The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. the show you can listen to it on your time with dukes on demand oh and it's free like america used to be streaming live every weekday morning on facebook live and michaeldukeshow.com well hello hello you guys ready to go a wee bit of snow. We had a wee bit of snow in Kasilov. Uh, a wee bit of snow. Uh, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, how are you guys doing? You ready to... You know, Jeremy says, makes me glad I was never a cat person. 
over the Alaska box. I mean, I'm not really a cat person myself for the most part. Unless your cat thinks it's a dog. We did own when we were when I was younger, <clears throat> my parents, we had a cat that thought it was a dog. That 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 cat was pretty cool. Um does Texas have their own disease? <laughs> it's called open borders. Um, hope everybody had a good weekend. They do have a Lone Star Tick, which is true. They do have a Lone Star Tick. And the Lone, Lone Star Tick has been found now in so many states. There's, I have questions about that. I have questions about that for sure. Um, <clears throat> Melody says she's driving her kiddo to the end of the driveway. They have a local moose hanging out in their area. Yeah, no, but... I I will tell you, man, nothing, nothing increases the pucker factor more than seeing a big mama moose with two little babies and you're out on foot somewhere uh, and you're like, um, yeah, you do not, do not want to be out there for sure. Um, Rick said they changed the permit. I, I <clears throat> they said they didn't. He said that they've increased the price. So, I mean, I, I mean, who knows? It's. You're dealing with government. <clears throat> My default position on those kind of things is to believe what the believe what Howard has to say on that. I've known Howard for years. I I I'm I I I have questions. I have questions. Um Terry says, what a load of garbage. The land is not used for anything but Arctic man. I mean, exactly. I mean, that's you know. It's not like you're getting a whole lot of use out of that land out there, and it's covered by six feet of snow. It's not like you're going to do any real damage out there. I don't, you know, but everybody wants their pound of flesh. You know, state's got to hold out its hand. So if you want to do what you want to do, you got to pay the you got to pay the type pay the piper pay the toll. Um, I mean that's just. Uh, they did a reality cop-based show out of their – yeah, they did the – what was it, Alaska State Troopers for the History Channel or whatever? I know they did a, I know they did an episode out there. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, did ben says, DNR pricing out private enterprise, an example of how our government isn't focused on economic growth unless it's funding government. Yeah. Did you see? I did not see this. Jason said, did you see the video of the moose at the Costco on the bar in Anchorage eating food out of a cart? I did not. I would have laughed, though. Uh, it's I mean, it's it's you know, it gets really tough. I mean, I my officers for my radio stations are down in is in midtown Anchorage. And I can't tell you how many times this year, probably five, six times I have seen full ass grown moose in the business complex where uh, my stations are eating off because they've got ornamental trees running up and down the thing. And they're in there eating the stuff right off the ornamental trees because, you know, because they got plowed roads to get to the trees. It's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Let's see. Um, moose acting like homeless in Anchorage. 
Alaska DNR says Genie is becoming California. Washington DNR was 50 bucks a day for land use. I mean, that, again, if nobody else is using the land, it's just kind of a protection thing, right? I mean, I don't see the point. I don't see the point. All right, let's uh, get to it. <clears throat> Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share. Ooh, man, only a quarter of you have liked the show today. I want to be liked. I need to be liked. Like me. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Okay. Let's uh, get back to it here. Um, I got, man, people, all of a sudden I got text messages and message messages and everything else. It's a... Uh, Interesting stuff. Uh, let's take a look at uh, what's going on. Thank you. Somebody just <laughs> the moose have gotten so aggressive um, uh, that they have started eating. They've started eating food out of the Costco uh, shopping carts. There's actually a video at Costco on Debar uh, down in Anchorage. There's a video of the moose coming in and starting to poke, poke through the groceries in the shopping cart. Uh, of a person trying to load their car, she's hiding around the edge of the, she's hiding around the edge of the car, and uh, and she's she's, uh, the moose is moose is poking through her groceries. Look, man, I got plenty of stuff going on. I don't need I don't need you to eat my groceries. I got plenty of kids at home eating those groceries. <laughs> I got plenty of kids eating them groceries. Uh, all right, 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. If you uh, would like to uh, sound off, we'd love to hear what uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, hit us with a uh, hit us with a phone call here and tell us what your thoughts are on anything that we've uh, hit on so far this morning. Uh, I'd love to hear uh, I'd love to hear what's uh, what you have to say. Um, what else we got going on here? Well, uh, I in the in the history of bad ideas, we have yet one more bad idea. Um, the legislators are now considering the first statewide general obligation bond request since 2012. Now, it hasn't been formally introduced yet. But the Dunleavy administration and legislators are discussing the possibility where they borrow the money to, in this case, this would be a borrow money to match state funds. Uh, excuse me, to match federal funds. They'd borrow the money for the state to match federal funds, which, again, just goes to show you that we, you know, we, we just cannot continue to be the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I think that's probably one of the best. I think it's been one of the best quotes out of uh, Dunleavy since he took office. We cannot continue to be a Make-A-Wish Foundation. Uh, this is <clears throat> this is important because what they're talking about matching here is two hundred and six million dollars 
uh, that was awarded to the Alaska Energy Authority from the Department of Energy, uh, according to uh, according to James Brooks over at the Alaska Beacon. Uh, it's a federal grant, but it's got to be matched by state dollars. Um, the board of AEA voted to spend $20 million in borrowed money on part in the match, but that leaves $180 million or more still left unfunded. So what's the solution? Oh, we need to go out and put a state government, a state government obligation, general obligation bond out there, GO bond, general obligation bond. And then uh, we'll see what happened. Now, first things first, as soon as I hear who's in favor of it, that gives me a better. I, I mean, I'm all I'm not much I'm not much on borrowing the money to begin with. But as soon as I see that uh, the Senate Majority Leader Kathy Geisel is a big fan, I immediately start asking questions of my you know self like, oof. What would Cassie, I would do the exact opposite of what Kathy Giesel would do. She said, I'm a big fan of the idea of a geo bond. I think it's time to invest in the state and this transmission grid is critical to our future. So I'm a fan. Well, if you're a fan, then why don't we pay for it directly uh, and prioritize that spending over some other stuff instead of just borrowing more money to go. The bond might not be limited to electrical infrastructure, though. See, that's always the problem with the geo bond. We'll get into that here in just a second. Governor Dunleavy's annual proposal has a relatively small capital budget for the for the budget this year, which pays for construction and renovation projects. Representative Delena Johnson, co-chair of the House Finance, said it's hard to see substantial capital budget without a bond. Again, I mean, I'm I I hate I hate to be a broken record. I really hate to be a broken record, but I have to say, why? Why do we continue to have to borrow money? Why can't we prioritize with the money we have? Now, the short answer to that is, well, we want to do everything. We want to do everything and we'll spend all the dollars we have and then we'll borrow more. Right? I mean, that just... Nothing, something that you would never do in your own household unless you were, you know, insane and had a financial death wish. But, I mean, you know, for government, it's fine. I mean, for government, it's just, you know, it's great. Now, again, no obligation bond has been introduced, but apparently the idea is um, running around the building down there in Juneau. Um, this week, the members of the House and Senate Finance Committees were presented with a status report on the state's debt load. Historically, the state's policy has been to keep its ratio of general obligation debt service to unrestricted revenue. So how much you have as far as unrestricted revenue and then how much debt service you have to GO bonds below 5%. And the good news was that as of June 30th, it was 1%, which is the lowest it's been in 10 years. Back in 2017, it was 6%. So they've, they've paid some stuff down, which is, again, good. Um, he, uh, the state's debt manager said the state is planning on a fairly aggressive pay down of the remaining debt over the next 15 years. Remember, these geo bonds are not like, you know, we pay them all off in five years. or you know, this, is a, this is a long-term plan. Now, the biggest obstacle for the bond may be on the political front because you've got to put it in front of voters, but to get it in front of voters, it's got to be approved by the legislature. 
Um, there are some problems with that as well, because again, as soon as you start seeing somebody getting something, everybody else wants something. AEA's planned electrical grid upgrades would benefit, principally benefit South Central. Legislators from other parts of the state have already said that they would want to see local projects included in the bond. Oh, well, I want I want some of that. Which, again, is part of the problem with this whole thing is, oh, if they're going to get some, I want some. <laughs> Jesse Keel for Juno, from Juno, for example, told constituents in a town hall before the start of the session that if his vote is needed for a bond, he'd likely seek a higher price. And if that view is widespread, it could inflate the size of the borrowing. Even Bert Stedman, yes, even our good friend Bert Stedman just BS. has said one of the challenges that we have issuing bonds is controlling the signs, the size of the bond package. It may start out at $200 million and may end up at a billion. So we need to proceed with a little bit of caution. Could you imagine? We're just going to borrow a billion dollars on a general obligation bond, and then we can fund everybody's project. That's, I mean, I have never been a fan of borrowing money to pay for government. And, and I really, I don't even care if it's a school bond uh, thing, if it's a general obligation bond or whatever. I have just never been, a, if you cannot live within your means, uh, you know, taking the taxpayer's money all the time, but continually growing the size of government, why should we reward that behavior with more borrowing and more opportunities to, you know, to encumber the in the case of like a school bond, the property taxpayer on those kind of things? Why should we, you know, I just I just find it so wrong. We have people in the legislature who just cannot fathom the idea of living within their means, of prioritizing spending with the money that we have on the things that we need. Now, infrastructure is pretty important. Electrical infrastructure, definitely pretty important stuff. I would argue probably on the top of the list when it comes to constitutionally obligated things, right? Infrastructure is a huge deal. So maybe we should start asking questions like, you know, should we be paying for things like, oh, I don't know, child care when we have a mandate, constitutional mandate to upkeep infrastructure and everything else? Should we be paying for a study on vitamin D? I mean, that's not this year. That happened a few years ago, but it's just an example. We're going to spend a five or $600,000 on a study to see, you know, you know, what Alaskans and vitamin D. Well, I can tell you right now, send me the money and I'll tell you every Alaskan is vitamin D deficient. It's just, it's a fact. Do we need to have a study to figure that out? Probably not. But I mean, just, I'm just couple things that I just plucked right off the top of my brain there. I mean, why would we borrow money for something that is so fundamental to what the state is required to provide? Uh, I mean, this is going to go, this is going to flow right into the whole, um, this is going to flow right into the whole uh, thing on education. Again, living within our means. This is a, this is a, a prime example of the of the secondary part of the politician's disease, which is we can't be out of money. I still have checks in my checkbook. 
right? I mean, that's how they act. Just because we all want it and we all come together and we all want our stuff, somehow we it's just, it, you know, whatever it is, we're going to pay for it all. And the PFD is going to be gone. And then we'll be looking at taxation. I mean, I don't want to be that guy. Who am I kidding? I love being that guy. You're, you're going to take the PFD and then... 24 or 36 months later, you'll see the talking heads, the blah, 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 out of Juno say things like, oh, well, you know, you Alaskans have had a free ride long enough. Um, you know, we, we, we really need to pay our fair share. We really need to all pitch in and feel the, you know, it, it's gonna happen folks. I mean, it's, it's at this point, it is inevitable that that's what's going to happen. And unfortunately, I, I'm, I'm, I'm rapidly reaching that conclusion because my show, what I had, a, I had a text the other day when I was talking about the governor and I was, I was advocating, um, you know, I was saying that I really liked what the governor had to say, uh, that I was really happy with what the governor, uh, the, the tone that he took, right. Uh, speaking about, I'm sorry, I'm looking for the, I'm looking for the actual verbiage because I don't want to screw it up. Um, here we go. Um, this is from a friend of mine who works in government and he said, um, and he said, uh, the problem is, um, I'm looking for, okay, here's what, here's what he said. He said, look, I love your show, but your audience does not accurately reflect the electorate in Alaska. Have you seen the legislature that Alaska keeps giving us? He's not wrong. I mean, if you would ask me 10 years ago if my show reflected the electorate, the average electorate in Alaska, I would have said, yeah, probably pretty close. Maybe not exactly, but pretty close to the mainstream. And he's right. Um, it we We are at this point, we are outliers. Those of us who want smaller, more limited government who want a, you know, who want the full PFD, who want government to live within their means, um, we are, we are not the mainstream view. Um, I mean, we're, I don't know if we've reached fringe status yet, but we might be getting close. <laughs> I mean, we might be getting close out here. We might be on the edge. Which to me is just ironic that somebody who advocates for smaller, more limited government, for a government that lives within its means, that doesn't involve itself in things that it doesn't need to be involved in, like child care. We're going to get into that here in a second. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm quite honestly a little shocked that it is not more of a mainstream or at least slightly mainstream view. But I think it just seems like common sense. It's amazing they call it common. It's so rare. I mean, we're getting fringier by the moment here on this program, right? Because how dare we advocate for, you know, smaller, more limited government? Don't you know that government is the answer to every solution? Or every problem? It's the solution to every problem? It's the answer. Where have you been? It's It's interesting. To say the least. All right, uh, we got to go. Uh, we're going to be back here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. We'll continue with more right after this.
listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Yeah, mm-hmm, uh-huh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeannie says, according to the left, uh, we are all right-wing extremists. No, according to the right, we're extremists. Jeannie, that's the worst part. You've got general members of the, of the Republican Party who are saying that we just are being unreasonable. We're being unreasonable to ask questions. We've got legislators from the Valley even who are like, well, you guys are just being unreasonable. I'm just like, what? I mean, what? I mean, that's why, I mean, it doesn't matter. Left, right, Democrat, Republican. The question it is, it is then should there be more government or less government? Should there be more government spending or less government spending? That really should be the one question that you should ask a potential politician. Uh, somebody who's running for office. Should we spend more money or less money in the state? I mean, I know that's super simplistic. I know that that's like, I mean, I know. But it's a question, right? It's a question that we should be asking right now. Cindy says, big eye roll for me when I hear the state announce another task force or a study. I, I you know. The Alaska study industry thanks you for your patronage. Jeremy says no. Whoops. Uh, Jeremy says no to state child care funding. We're going to talk about that next. But yeah. Jeannie says, did we ever get a head count in the schools? Nope. Nope. Uh, Brian quotes my just say no to federal dough. I actually have that T-shirt. I got to go find it. I, I had a made. I had some made and nobody bought them but me. Um, but that's okay. Just say no to federal dough. Um, okay. I'm scrolling backwards here. Like and share. Is that a caribou thing? Yes, it's a caribou thing. Like and share. Share the lichen. <laughs> the moss, the lichen. Uh, what he was referring to was when I ask you to like and share the show, uh, which is well, there, only a third of you have liked or shared the show today. Only a third. Because why do you hate me? Why? Why do you hate me? Um, okay, I'm scrolling. Now, I'm, I, now I caught up from when I was in here before. Moose at Costco, yada, yada, yada. Um, uh, federal funds are a trap. Run away, says Brian. There's always a hook, right? There's always a hook. But you may not be able, you may be able to see it, maybe not be able to see it, but there's always a hook in there somewhere. Um let's see. Follow the money. Um the FNSB says Bonnie wants to get rid of the tax cap here in Fairbanks. Yes, government needs more money. Yes, yes. Exactly. It's just another example. Um Oh, my God. Somebody from Juno just sent me a message. We're getting word that part of the push for the GEO bond is because some Anchorage legislators want to use it to replace Mulcahy Stadium. For the love of God. A, a stadium, another stadium that needs to be paid for with public funds. 
that doesn't benefit the public. I mean, there's you go to the Reason Foundation, and they have actually done study after study to show that small and large stadiums in many cities where the government cronies all get up and say, this will be a great benefit to the community, and just think of all the economic development. And it shows that they – zero. In fact, it costs the communities every time, especially with these big sports teams, these big name sports teams where they have a stadium built for them and and then – it's dude i'm totally no nope um good morning good morning good morning uh less is almost better find out how big fred is and i'll buy one for him buy one what i i'm sorry i'm sorry brian that was random for me I, my brain was on another thought find out how big he is and buy one of what for him and we need to we're, we're working on stuff for fred i haven't even i I didn't check the Common Sense Core page all week, so or all weekend. I think the last time I looked at it was Wednesday. I got to get better about that, but I'm busy. Uh, but we did. We put together a thing for, oh, a T-shirt. Okay, we're going to get him a T-shirt. Uh, yeah, no, I think we can um, I think we can do that. Okay, um, thank you, Rick, for keeping me in line with the conversation there. All right. Oh, I'm trying, I'm trying to, rem I'm trying not to lose my cool today, <clears throat> getting more agitated than I already am. We need a shipping address to send you stuff for Fred. I will post that up in the, in the common sense core uh, room. Um, it'll be a PO box, but I will ship it all there. How about that? Okay. Um, yeah, I lived when I lived in eastern Washington, we had to pay for the Seahawks' new stadium, and it never sunsetted. Yeah, I'm with you on that, 100%. 100%. Let's get to it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Okay, let's uh, get into it here. One final segment. One final segment before we get to uh, hour two. Ben Carpenter will be joining us in hour two, Representative Ben Carpenter from down on the peninsula. And he'll give us his take on all the things that we're talking about right now. You want to know one thing that we could spend money on uh, or not spend money on and therefore... It would be one way to chip away at that uh, general obligation bond idea, which um, I was in the break. Did I tell? Did I tell that in the break, or was I in the? Was I can't remember. Anyway, just in case I said it during the break instead of uh, while we were live on the air here, I got a text message from somebody in Juno who said, "Getting the word down here." that part of the push for the general obligation bond is, is because some Anchorage legislators want to use it to replace Mulcahy Stadium in Anchorage. For the love of God, you people. Seriously. We need to replace a stadium. And again, I've got a whole thing about stadiums and 
Uh, the Reason Foundation has done a big study on this across the nation for large and medium-sized stadiums about how they're always sold to the public usually with debt and obligation bonds about how to be a great economic booster to the community. And the study shows exhaustively that it doesn't cause economic development, that it doesn't pay back to the community. In fact, in the long run, it ends up costing the community and they end up paying for it all. And the beneficiaries, well, especially for the big ones with a major sports team attached to it, is the sports team itself. But, uh, you know, I mean, if that's why they want to do an obligation bond is for Mulcahy Stadium, I, my for one, am not a fan. But if you want to find a way to save some money for your capital budget GO bond that you're talking about floating, I say that you could save yourself $5.6 million by not expanding child care. Now, I like Representative Julie Colomb. I like her a lot. Um, but this is something that, and I'm going to try and get her on the program to talk about it, but this is something that I just cannot wrap my brain around. She is the co she is the primary sponsor of this bill. It's house bill 89. And she introduced it last year as a way to give corporations child tax credits and to subsidize, uh, and to subsidize child care costs or the tuition, they call it tuition for each of the kids that are enrolled in, you know, to basically pay for more children. Now, she's got a handful of Democrats that's that uh, that uh, uh, have jumped on her with this. One of the co-sponsors is Zach Fields. The child care bill would expand the income threshold for families that can receive subsidies for tuition costs. The State Department of Health estimates that an additional 18,000 children under the age of 12 would meet the new criteria for financial assistance. So we got to look to government to make it better and make health, you know, to make the child care more instead of just getting out of the way. I mean, we talked about this here a few months ago when they were going through, why is it so hard to get child care? And they said, well, have you looked at what it takes to become a certified, licensed, state-approved child care provider instead of little old Edna who lives down the street from you who's been happy to watch your kids for, you know, 20 bucks a day or whatever it is for the last, you know, I mean, it, it's insane. I got to tell you, I've never put my kids in child care, okay? I mean, it's full disclosure here. I have no dog in this fight um, because, quite honestly, I have five kids. Do you know how much money I would have had to have made to be able to afford to put five kids through daycare? I mean, I think what was the low number? $750 a month or something just for child care per child? I mean, I you know. Jesus, you'd have to make thirty-five dollars or $40,000 a year just for the child care costs for that many kids. So, I mean, we I never had to deal with that. But I will tell you that if I had had to deal with it, I'm not going to no state-certified, licensed child care. Prov- I would find somebody near me, somebody who's retired, who'd be willing to look after my kids for a few bucks a month. Right? I mean, come on. That I just... I don't care about I don't care about what the state wants. So, uh, families who receive the subsidies would have a maximum copay of seven percent of their monthly incomes. 
But just think about that 7% of your monthly income every month. For ch- uh, the federal government currently pays all child care subsidies received by low-income families in the state. Under Colum's bill, the state anticipated needing $5.6 million per year for the newly eligible children. And you know it's only going to go up from there. It's only going to increase from there. Um, under HB 89, publicly traded corporations like ConocoPhillips and Walmart would be eligible for dollar for dollar tax credits to subsidize their employees' child care costs. They would also get tax credits to establish their own child care centers or to make donations to existing providers. I mean, there have been plenty of companies that have created their own in-house child care, uh, and they did it as a benefit to make sure that their workforce was able to come to work. I mean, it, it was a benefit to them. In the long run, more productivity, better productivity, knowing that the parents didn't have to worry about, you know, whether their kid was sick or couldn't be taken care of or anything else. It's a benefit. If you want to offer them a tax credit for for making their own child care, I guess that's, you know, I guess I don't have anything necessarily bad to say about that because I, for one, am all for as many tax credits as you can get personally. But dang. Republican state legislators across the nation have increasingly supported state assistance for child care as an economic issue, which again just shows me once more how they can decry the spending when it's the Democrats, but when it's one of their things that they think is great, they're all for it. I can hear somebody already saying, why do you hate the children, Dukes? Why do you hate the children? I don't hate the children. Stop looking to government for fixing your problems. Well, but it, you just don't understand. I do understand. I raised a, I was a single, I am a single income. I have been a single income household for 32 years. 32 years, 33 years now, a single income household. Now that well, that's a decision you made. Yes, it's a decision I made. But these are the hard things that you got to make those decisions on. If having both of you work, and I don't care which one works and which ones doesn't, don't get twisted about that. Well, you're just saying that the man should work. I'm not saying if if he wants to stay at home and take care of the kids and do all that, and she makes a better income, go for it, man. I did, but I did a show years ago about. If you both worked, what was the actual cost? How much more would you pay in taxes? What would the next tax bracket be? What are your additional costs for both of you working for wardrobes and vehicles and dinners out and time? And and it, it it's almost a wash for many people, unless you're both professionals making, you know, making six digits. For the most part, it's a wash. <laughs> It's a wash. If you've got two kids, if you've got two kids, you know, you're figuring it's going to be $20,000 a year for health care, for child care, for a couple kids right off the bat. Unless they're making seventy dollars or $80,000 a year, that probably doesn't make a lot of sense because it's also pushed you up into a different tax bracket. And the extra, I mean, I could do a whole thing on this. But again, Why? Last year, legislators approved a $7.5 million temporary salary boost for child care workers. 
I'm sure that there was no strings attached to that. I'm sure that there was no hooks in any of that. Again, I love, I mean, I really like Julie Colon, but I have questions about this. Maybe we can get her to come on and talk about it with us. Maybe she can change my mind. I don't know. All right, we got to go. Hour two is dead ahead. Uh, Representative Ben Carpenter will be joining us. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Okay, uh, so I got to ask you guys, I I, got to ask you, because I got so, I got so chastised for that show. I had people calling up the radio station the one day that I did that show. I literally spent an hour breaking down the cost of having both adults in a, in a household working. And, uh, there was the radio station got some calls and stuff like that. And one gal called and was just screeching that how dare I, uh, demean women and their place in the workforce and everything, which I never did. Cause like I said, I don't care which one of you, you know, you have to weigh it out, but I spent an hour going over, uh, you know, with numbers and facts and, and here's where the tax bracket would be. And here's how much it costs to, to, uh, to, for childcare. And here's how much it costs for the extra, you know, uh, for the extra grooming and the haircuts and the, you know, lunches out and the wardrobe and the extra wear and tear on the vehicle. And I just went through it and I was like, you have to make at, at 40 or $50,000, you're basically barely breaking even with two people working. And, uh, you know, if you're both making the, if you're both making similar salaries and I mean, I just said, why don't, why don't more people just, you know, decide for one of you to stay home and wouldn't that be better for your children? And wouldn't that be better? Oh my God. I took so much hate over that for a couple of weeks. It was just, it was crazy, but I was just, I was flabbergasted. People tell me that their children are the most important thing in the world. And they'll take them to soccer practice and hockey practice and lacrosse practice and underwater basket weaving practice. But the second you talk about maybe you, one of you should stay home and you know take care of them on a daily basis, and they're like, how dare you? Well, I thought your kids were, I mean, I thought your kids were, you know, the most important thing in the world to you. So you guys have to tell me if I'm wrong on that. But I feel pretty strongly about that. I feel pretty strongly that it makes sense for one of you, especially when they're young, maybe when they're into their teens, that's not a big deal because you don't have to have the child care anymore. They're, so, but when they're young, you know, up until probably late middle school, I, I you know, that makes sense to me. But you guys will have to tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just old fashioned on this and it doesn't make any sense. OK, um, I see that Representative Ben is in and out of the frame down there. He's uh, he's getting things ready. I see he's in the green room, so we'll check in with him here in just a second. Um, Jeremy says, we never had used to have all these single moms back in the day, but maybe the state is responsible to some extent for locking dads up for stupid stuff. Well, I mean, I think that there's a problem with, you know, first of all, there's a problem with the nuclear family, right? I mean, that's already a problem. So you do have a lot of single moms. Um 
and I, of course, I did. I wasn't addressing single moms. I was addressing families that had two two people. Okay, so I mean, let me just first and foremost, the single moms were not in that equation at all. That wasn't even an option because I was talking about married couples. So I mean, that was it. But you're right. Maybe if we stopped subsidizing and make people responsible for some of their own stuff, maybe they'd find better solutions. Um, MD, you do have old-fashioned values. I do have old-fashioned values, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm the trad dad, traditional dad. That's me. Um, all right, uh, let's go over here real quick, and we will uh, check in with uh, Ben to see what uh, is going on over there. Uh, good morning, sir. How are you doing? Good morning, Michael. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay. You sound good. All right, you're all you're all ready. We're ready to get going, and uh, we're ready. We're ready. To okay. All right. Um, is there any specific bill that you want to talk about? I just want to make sure that I have things I want to talk about, but I don't want to lose. If there's anything that you want to specifically focus on, I want to make sure I ask it during the show. Well, I think we're making progress towards uh, the uh, at least one component of the fiscal plan. I think I think we'll see a vote on HDR seven here pretty soon. Okay, good. Well, we'll make sure to ask about that then during the uh, discussion this morning, and uh, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back to it. So, all right, we'll hold the line for me, Ben, and I will be back to you here in just a hot minute. Okay. Sure. All right, I'm going to put him back in the green room, and we're going to continue on here. All right. Um, uh, Jeannie says it's better for the kids if mom stays home. Period. I mean, I would agree with that, but again. I've met, I've had, I've known guys who have stayed at home while she went out because she was a professional, a lawyer or whatever. And, and she was the breadwinner and he took care of stuff and maybe he worked from home in a little bit, but he, and that's fine. I don't care. I mean, I personally couldn't do that. That's just again, cause I have old fashioned values. I personally couldn't do that, but it's none of my business. If somebody else wants to do that, great. Good for them. I'm just saying for the for the for the benefit of your household, it probably you should probably do that math one day. Just sit down with a yellow sheet and you know how much do you make? How much do I make? Let's break down the costs. Now, how much of those costs are associated with the fact that both of us work, and how much would that be? And then what tax bracket are we in? And how much more do we pay in taxes? And yada yada yada. And how much is that? Oh, she's going to work because you've got a boat payment for a boat that sits in the yard for seven months out of the year. Maybe you, you know, I mean, you maybe you should buy a smaller boat that you can pay cash for. I mean, I don't know. There's just so many things, so many things. Representative Carpenter, can you back off the front light just a bit? Says Brian. It was a little shiny. It was a little bit shiny. That it was. It was there. It's okay. Uh, all right. <clears throat> so you guys ready to do this thing? Let's uh, let's go with it. Hour two is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more. Here we go.
buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Hi there, hold there, hey there. Welcome to Monday, my friends. It is hour two of the big radio broadcast, The Michael Dukes Show, uh, broadcasting across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, wherever you are, good morning. Whether it's all the way down on uh, on Alaska uh, or all the way up into the interior, uh, up by you know, Fox or wherever. Thanks for coming on board and sharing your morning with us. We appreciate it. Hour two of the big radio show today. We uh, just finished up some interesting discussions that I'm sure some people are screaming at the radio about, but we're going to change gears just a little bit because now we're being joined uh, by our friend, Representative Ben Carpenter from down on the peninsula. I can't even remember what his new house district is, but he represents the uh, uh, represents the uh, upper middle peninsula there, and uh, he joins us this morning. We're going to be talking about, well, all the hot things, education. Uh, defined benefits, child care, and maybe a full fiscal plan as well. Representative Ben Carpenter joins us right now. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. I am uh, trying to get the lighting right. I know <laughs> I wa- I washed everybody out. Yeah, my, you were, my laptop screen was turned up. I, I know it's like it's like you were staring at the face of the sun for a minute. I was like, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Trying to get your t- somebody said it was your happy light. You're just trying to get that sad thing, you know, away from you, right? Just trying to get a little my, my vitamin D light. Yeah, yeah exactly, vitamin D light. Uh, well, Ben, I appreciate you taking the time to come on uh, with us this morning. I know that uh, you guys are busy down there. You're trying to get lots of stuff done. I know you're having long days. This is the, you know, this is the thing you signed up for, and uh, and I know you're fighting hard for everything that's going on. But I want to kind of <clears throat> start off here. Uh, and I want to tackle the big three topics that I just hit on. Uh, and then before the end of the show, I definitely want to talk about the full fiscal plan, which you were part of from the Fiscal Policy Working Group, uh, which just for those of you who have forgotten, that was a group that met uh, two, three years ago now, three years ago in a summer. Um, it was a bipartisan group, had like people who were on the, if you want to talk about extremes, people who were very, very conservative and people were very, very liberal, but they all came together. They kumbaya And at the end, they had a unanimous decision on a fiscal plan for the state of Alaska that had eight or nine separate points, but they all said it has to be done together. It cannot be done. It has to be holistic. It has to be whole. It can't be bits and pieces. Uh, and you have been struggling over the last three years to try and spearhead an effort to put that into place. I want to make sure we talk about that in the last segment here today. Um, but uh, before we get there, let's talk about the big issues, Ben. The big three things that we're hearing about time and time and time again is, well, there's four things, I guess. But the big ones are uh, the school funding, of course, the increase in the BSA. It's got to happen. It's got you know, hate the children if you don't if you're not for it. 
The second thing is defined benefits, which ostensibly is to help with the teacher shortage and the first responders, but it's going to go everywhere else. The third thing is the energy issue, but the fourth thing is this child care thing, which in the scheme of things is probably the smallest component of it, but it is also a slippery slope to something that I don't really want to see. So uh, let's uh, let's get started there. Let's take a crack at it. You you know, dealer's choice. You could start with any of the, of the topics. Uh, tell me what your thoughts are here as we get things rolling. Well, everybody is, uh, every session uh, early on is focused on education. I figure that's probably the appropriate thing to just give sure. an update on and, sure. and talk about. Well, it's the biggest, right? it's the biggest, as far as numbers, it's one of the biggest things. It is the largest line item in our budget. Yeah, and it's one of those things that we have to get right if we want to see economic growth that is tied to people coming into the La- into Alaska instead of leaving Alaska. I mean, we, we have to be leading the nation in education, not at the bottom, right? That's, this is the problem. We're headed in right. the wrong trajectory. <laughs> right. We rank, rank last in education results, but rank first in the cost of education. Exactly. I mean, that's always been my th- problem here is, look, we're in the top two or three as far as expenditures per pupil. We're up there right at the very top, and yet we scrape the bottom 49th, 48th, 49th, 50th as far as scholastic achievement. That something we, Something's not right. Yep. And I just think that we've got a management problem. We've got the wrong policies. And if you look at what's happening with student populations in the state, the statewide, the student population is maybe down a percent, right? It's it's not a significant number of students that have left the state no longer participating in the education system. What is happening is a significant shift of student populations out of particular school districts to other competitive education solutions. And this is what parents are doing to provide the best education that they can to their kids. So we're, we're seeing the, the natural progression of, of uh, you know, the market economy, if you will, that says parents and, and consumers are going to go where they get the best value. And it's not to our brick and mortar school systems who are, who are slow to change and, and are um, part, part of the problem, frankly, just, right. just don't want to recognize that they have a problem that they need to deal with. This is the, co- and, this is the COVID effect, right? I mean, this is really the COVID effect <clears throat> where people discovered it wasn't as hard as they've been told, uh, that to, to take care of your own child's education, whether that's in a learning pod or a charter school or homeschooling or independent learning, whatever it is that all of a sudden they discovered this wasn't nearly as hard as they'd been told. Yeah, I think it just highlights that that the um, you know the the thing that we bought into that says education can only happen in a public school uh, is is not correct, and so now people are are starting to think and ask questions and and wonder why we have bad results. Well, I've talked to teachers, and I I think I have a a very good understanding of what's going on um, in the classroom that is that is degrading the quality of education. It's what parents are are averse to and why they're taking their kids out of the school. And it's policies in the, in the school, it's uh, curriculum choices in the, in the school, and it's teachers that, that don't have um, the ability, the backing of the administration in some cases to maintain discipline inside this, in the, inside the classrooms. And with that discipline is also comes with a, a verbal and physical uh, threat of violence within, within classrooms. And so parents are like, you know what? This is just too big a risk. We're going to go somewhere else for our education. And if the school districts are not going to address this issue, we're never going to see an increase in student populations back into our brick and mortar schools. And we're not going to see an increase in quality. So 
what I did with uh, HB 165 was say, hey, look, we've got some challenges with school districts actually being able to um, desire or make it easy for parents to charter a school. That way the parents would have the say, they would have control of hiring a principal of the budget of the school. They would have control of the curriculum, they have control of the policies of the school, and those things would be up to the, up to the parents. That's the only way that you're going to change the, the um, outcomes of the school is to change those things, those policies that lead to better education results. And for some reason, our school boards are, are unable or unwilling to do that. And I think that it's just a, it's a case where the education union and the administration are just so hell-bent on keeping control of power that they, they are losing sight and have lost sight of what is actually um, the truth of education. And that's, it's a, it's a parent's responsibility first. Right. We, we lend our kids to the school. The school helps us as parents educate our kids, but we have the ultimate responsibility and ultimate authority. And if you don't, if you kick the parents out of the classroom and say, you don't have responsibility, you don't have control, then that's where we're at. We're, we're at a point where we've washed, some parents wash their hands of, of the ability or uh, responsibility to educate their kids and their influence is not felt in the classroom. And th I think that's the ultimate crux of the problem. Well, and the, so, ch the charter school issue is interesting because, I mean, first of all, we know charter schools work. Uh, we know that statistically across the nation that charter schools do better than standard brick and mortar type schools, even though in many cases they're funded by the same mechanisms. Um, and we know that they're popular based on the fact that there are waiting lists a mile long for most of these charter schools. Yet the problem here in Alaska is the decision to start a new charter school rests specifically in the group that is part of the power structure of the standard education industry. Uh, you know, the school boards and the local areas. Now, I know one of the arguments has been uh, to play devil's advocate here. Well, you're taking away local control because the local school district has to pay for this charter school. And now you're saying parents can just go to the state, get a charter school done, and you're taking money out of our mouths. You're taking money away from other kids who deserve it more or who play by the rule or whatever the thing is that they're saying. What's your argument there? Yeah, that's just a complete mischaracterization of what's actually happening. Yes, in HB 165 and in the language that's in um, Senate Bill 140, uh, including an education funding increase, it, it all it does is authorize the state to charter the school, but the school would then be managed down at the local level, down at the school district level. And if you think about this in, in terms of who actually makes control, or <laughs> there I go getting bright again, I don't know what I did. Um, the uh, the school charter school board of directors, if you will, policy mm -hmm. committee right. of those parents that are now uh, making the making the decisions. Those that's that's a, as local as you can get. That that's the parents in the community that are that are running the school and making decisions for that school. It, it's more local than the than the uh, school board is. So it, it is it is a as a fallacy. It's wrong to suggest that that the state is going to be controlling the charter schools. Because it is it is actually up to the parents who are going to make up the board, the the controlling interest, if you will, the, right. the leadership of the school. Right. Uh, I think again, this shows just exactly where the problem lies. The problem lies in the fact that you're taking money away 
from the people who are in control of it now, and they don't like to lose control. I think that's really what the bottom line about this is, is that it's about control. Because again, you wouldn't, if these schools were not doing well, if they were not liked by parents, if they were not, they wouldn't have a thousand students on a waiting list or whatever to get into them. Um, And uh, as Rob points out, he says they also know that statistics show that expanded access to charter schools raises the performance of regular neighborhood schools as well. What? Competition breeds efficiency? Competition breeds excellence? I mean, yes, that's what we've said for years. But the industry, the the education industry has said, oh, no, no, you can't do that because it's got to be a zero sum game. If you're taking away from one, you're, you know, if you're giving to one, you're taking away from another instead of raising everybody up. That's what competition does. It gives the opportunity to raise everyone up. Well, I think there's another thing here, too, that's not financial and it's a little bit more nuanced. If we recognize that some of the problems that we're having in our classrooms are cultural based, me- meaning um, family life is pretty poor, decisions that parents are making right. are, are poor, and that's part of the problem. Well, the government's not able to address that directly, but indirectly through policies such as creating a, a board of directors for your schools that include the parents of that community then conversations can happen over time this year next year a decade later you're having a conversation that says hey the outcome of the school is parents responsibility we're the ones that own the school it's our school it's our policies and and that that has a peer pressure effect in your community so it's it's um it's breaking the the stranglehold of the bureaucracy that has control of the schools policies and and uh and and vision right and right. until you do that you're not going to get better results i mean we know this from from business right if you've got a company that's that's uh, tanked and it's uh not being very competitive and about ready to go bankrupt in some cases those companies can be saved but you know a, a larger company comes in with cash and and uh what's the first thing they do right they they lop off the leadership they, they say hey Right. You're no longer needed here. We're going to bring in our own leadership with new vision, new ideas, new creativity to uh, write this ship and and make it profitable. And that happens. That happens regularly. Right. So that's kind of the thinking that's that's driving um, you know my my efforts here is not to get rid of the public school system. We just need it better. And it, it is proven. Right. I mean, the six years that I've been here, it's proven that it can't fix itself. Well, I've said it for years that the education system in this state and really across the nation, but in this state specifically, there's something fundamentally flawed. And until we admit that there's a problem, we can never address it until we can admit that there's a problem with education that doesn't just revolve around the amount of revenue that they have. You know, that's that's going to be that's that's part of the issue that we have right here. Uh, Ben Carpenter is our guest. We're going to continue representative for down on the peninsula. We're going to continue with him here in just a minute. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Don't forget, you can always join us on Facebook if you'd like to uh, be part of the show in between. Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show slash live if you want to join in there. We'll return with more in just a moment. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. 
we dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. We're in the break right now. Uh, Representative Ben Carpenter <clears throat> is our guest, and uh, we are uh, ready to go. Make sure that you uh, like the show today, uh, if you can, and share it out with people. Maybe we can get more folks involved in the conversation. Uh, we've got uh, just under half of the people have liked the show this morning, so feel free, feel free to like if you. I mean, I I, I need that validation, man. I need that validation. Uh, anyway, let's uh, continue on. Uh, ben, this is <clears throat> this is really a touchy subject, specifically because the news media in the state of Alaska has really taken up the banner and championed. A lot of the talking points that people in the education industry are pushing right now. There's really no deeper analytical thought. Every news story talks about how we haven't funded education. We flat funded it. We haven't seen an increase uh, with no discussions on the one-time funding, the forward funding, the yearly increases in, in, uh, in, in yearly payments outside of the BSA. Nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about the fact that the increase, you know, we've increased the funding for education by over 30% in just the last uh, couple decades. And nobody talks about that. It's all about the flat funding. And it makes it hard to have a conversation if all people are doing is reading what's in the paper and not getting any deeper into the, into the details of it. Yeah, well, I think that it's very disingenuous to talk about uh, state funding when your house is on fire and you're not putting the fire out. If if your school district is has a declining population of schools uh, of students, you have a problem because the state's overall population of students is not declining significantly. So this is not a state problem as much as it is a local problem. If you've got a population of students that are, and parents that are leaving the school district, you need to stop that. You, you need to become more competitive and give a reason for those parents to come back to the school. Right. Then you're funding. Then you're funding through the the average daily membership, and the the formula that we have with the base student allocation goes up, and and you don't have as big a problem financially. It makes it harder too, because like for example, the uh, the fall student counts uh, they were supposed to be out. Uh, we still haven't seen them uh, from especially from South Central. Um, the numbers are just not available. How are you supposed to make good decisions if you can't get the actual number and statistics? And my, I guess my secondary follow up question to that is uh, based on my <clears throat> suspicious mind is, are they hiding those numbers until after some kind of consensus has been reached because they're lower than expected? I mean, I, what, why? Why all the secrecy? I mean, why is indeed stamping their foot and saying, where are your student count numbers? I, I mean, I just, I, these are, I think these are valid questions to ask. Well, I think they're valid questions. Um, I, uh, um, keeping the drama as low as possible is always good to, to better outcomes. So I don't know, honestly, why there's a delay in receiving information. Um, I'm not going to uh, speculate or, or suggest that it's nefarious. Maybe it's just um, they need more time. I, I don't know, I, I, but it's it's a legitimate conversation, right? If you if you're continue to have a student uh, enrollment decline, then at some point in time, somebody has got to ask the question: Why are parents leaving the school district? Why are they leaving? What is the policies? What are the right. reasons that they're leaving the school district? Right. Do you see a, a corresponding decline 
in the population of that of that area overall. Right. I, I don't think that that's the case down in the Kenai Peninsula. Yeah, no. And I think, I mean, how much of it is it, like you said, a cultural shift where instead of focusing on, you know, the three R's, uh, we're focusing on, you know, diversity, cultural inclusion, social justice. I mean, all the, all the ESG and DIE stuff. I mean, what? <clears throat> yeah, I had, Michael, I had a conversation with, um, with uh, somebody high up in the school district. I, I'm not going to use their name right at the moment. But I said, if you just take a look at your mission statement for the school district, it says your mission is to give kids uh, a whole bunch of life skills. I said, well, it's, it's a, a part of those life skills that are your reading, writing and arithmetic. But there's so much more right. included in your life skills. Right. And that's why parents are leaving. Yeah, because you can't do reading, writing and arithmetic very well because you've got all of these other things that are on your plate that you think is your mission. So why don't you change your mission statement to we do education? Excellent. Reading, writing, and All right. Hold on a second here, Ben. We're going we're gonna to get back to this here. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. A pinch could be subjective. I mean, there's some intellect in there somewhere. Uh, joining me here this morning is Representative Ben Carpenter. We're finishing up on our discussion in education. And I, again, I think I, we need to make the valid point of, you know, not only was there the COVID effect of people figuring out that they could do for their child, um, you know, do for their child's education it, it, much easier than they had been told, uh, you know, because it's always the scare tactic of, oh, you you just not qualified to teach your kids and you're not qualified to do this. And and they found out it wasn't nearly as hard. And on top of the fact that you add all this, um, you know, cultural and social justice stuff and the uh, ESG and DIE, DEI stuff and everything. And people start asking questions like, well, we got one in four that won't graduate. And those that do graduate, you know, something like 60 percent of them could barely read at a grade school level. I mean, if we're if we're developing this faulty product, something needs to change. And that's why I think parents are taking an active look at it. But those who are in the education industry who are pushing all these cultural points instead of just basically teaching kids how to learn and with the reading and writing and arithmetic, that's a huge part of the problem. Yeah, I agree. It all stems with getting more parental control and uh, involvement in the education system, right? We don't need to continue funding a system that's failing. We need to fix a system that is producing good results. Yeah. Um, let's quickly talk before we move on to defined benefits. Let's quickly talk about the state of SB 140, which is the Senate bill that came over. It was strictly an Internet bill for schools trying to increase the Internet speeds in the in the various rural communities. Uh, it's since had a lot of things added to it. And it seems to have from the outside looking in, it seems to have stalled in the House. What's happening there and what do we need? You know, what, how is that going to move? What What's happening there? Yeah, the bill is currently in our rules committee, and I don't know that it's uh, fair to say that it stalls in the House because the, the solution is going to be one that, that both the, the other body, the Senate, and the governor agree to. And, and those conversations are going on right now before that bill gets moved out. And I, I understand that the sticking point is on the dollar figure, and the sticking point is on um, the, the control, uh, the the education controls that we're trying to put in to improve our, our accountability, right? The 
um, increase in funding for for correspondence schools and and for uh, the, the state to be able to charter a school. Th- those are things that are sticking points for this for the status quo. Right. I I told the, I told the educators when I spoke to them, I said, look, I, I really just kind of disregard the rhetoric. Every year, there's something. There's some message. The sky's falling, and things are schools. Schools are going to be closed, and pools are going to be closed, and teachers are going to get laid off. Blah 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 blah. Right. And all, all the messaging is just to get what you want. And then once the budget's passed, we figure out a way to make it happen because we're we're professionals, and and we're going and that's what's going to happen, right? right? So we just need to have a conversation about what the appropriate amount of funding is and how we're going to address better results. Right. There's a lot of posturing that goes on around uh, school uh, school times and around budget times and everything else. The pink slips going out and the, I mean, all that kind of stuff. And it's it's really, in a lot of ways, it's a it's theater and it's public pressure through that kind of mechanism. But it, Michael, I just want to I want to say also that that this this conversation about education funding is a symptom of a, a larger problem. R- really, it's not about education funding. Really, honestly. It's about the lack of a long-term fiscal plan and what people are witnessing. What we're seeing in in our forecasts is that we're going to um, continue to spend the earnings from the permanent fund to fund government to the the point that there won't be a dividend. So the push for a giant BSA, for uh, a BSA that is is completely unreasonable, $1,400 BSA, right? You're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe even a billion dollars, right? What's what's there's not enough money to to meet the needs for the for some of these educators. Right. Right. The point is that the focus is getting getting their hooks in and getting um, as much of that money, the permanent fund earnings as possible, as early as possible before it's gone, before it's consumed by other functions of government. And that's the that's the real problem that's going on behind the scenes here. That's influencing just about everything that we do. Right. Everybody's it's like a rush to the bank. How right. can we get the permanent fund earnings in our little our little portion of it before before they run out? Right. How can we get our cut of the pie for the long term before everybody else gets their bite? That's exactly, exactly what it's exactly about. Exactly what the underlying current is with all of this. The second biggest issue that we seem to be facing right now is this discussion on defined benefits. Now we thought this monster was put to bed back in 06 when they changed from the uh, defined benefits to a defined contribution plan. Uh, now we've got this new bill, which has no fiscal note. Now both members of Senate Finance have uh, the co-chairs have voted against it. Um, yet it continues to move forward. They just are are just they're just you know, Katie bar the door, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. This is what we need. Uh, the Reason Foundation came in and talked to them and said, this is, you know, obviously not going to end well. Uh, we have no idea what the actual fiscal cost is going to be. Could be anywhere from $200 million a year to up to a billion a year for the next nine years. And nobody really seems to know. And yet we're going to be like, oh, I think this is cost neutral. So I'm going to go ahead and just vote on it and it'll be fine. Um, when we know we still owe $7 billion in unfunded liability to the last defined benefits program that we were running. Uh, what are your thoughts on defined benefits and where it's going from here? Well, um, it is frustrating to see the the um, data that we're using to try to make a decision. Um, basically, if you create a new defined benefit retirement system in, in this year, or maybe it takes effect next, next fiscal year, um, what you're really saying is all new employees that go in on that year 
your goal is to, to keep them in state government for a career, right? So you're going to have them for 20 or 30 years. Well, we're only looking out for an actuarial out to like 16 years. That's like half a career. So we are not even looking to see what it's going to cost the state at the time that the individual retires. We're just looking halfway. So we're not even looking at the true costs. So, and, and the other part of this too is um, the assumptions within the act actuarials are saying, hey, you know what, um, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to assume that our our status quo of the number of employees it stays the same right but the whole reason that we're trying to put a defined benefits plan in place is to increase recruiting and retention so you're you're you can't have your cake and eat it too you're going to have a, a more expensive plan because you're yep. going to increase people or you're not going to increase people with your plan so right anyway. which was the stated uh, which was the stated purpose of your plan Right. I mean, exactly. So the reality is that that other states are uh, are doing away from defined benefits. Corporations have done away with defined benefits because they're just unaffordable in the long term. And and we we had a very good conversation over the last uh, couple of years talking with Reason Foundation about where our defined contributions, the current retirement system for new employees, um, where it lines up with with national norms. And what we were told is that our for our police and firefighters, we are below national norms for uh, con uh, con employer contributions. So I authored a bill to increase our um, contributions to police and firefighters to bring them up to a national norm that increases their the employer's contribution up to 4%. So they would have a total contribution, including their own, of, of 30%, which is, which is probably better than you're going to find in any private sector uh, company. I, that bill also includes... Um, authorization for teachers to go to their employer and say, hey, I would like to participate in the in the SBS program, the Supplemental Be Benefit System program for the state, which is akin to a, um, a social security system, only it's better because it's portable and you can take it with you. Right. And have some control over uh, investments. So um, that would that would have a, a cost to local municipalities. But you know what? Uh, private sector don't have an they don't have an option to say no to uh, paying for social security. They have to. O only in the government can we say, you know what, we're not going to pay social security for our for our uh, for our people. And so I, I think that's fundamentally wrong. Um, I don't want to force somebody to go to social security because I can't. I'm. I don't even know whether we'll have social security when I when I retire. Yeah. But our SBS program is a is a better option, and this provides one of the things that is that teachers have complained about is that they've got a retirement system through the state that doesn't include some um, reliance on social security. So this is addressing that issue. There's going to be a price tag associated with that, but that's, that's the cost of doing business but for, it's, for but it's retirement set, benefits, right? It's, it, but it's a set price tag. You know what it's going to be. The problem with defined benefits is uh, a healthcare procedure that today may cost a hundred dollars. You don't know in 30 years, it may cost $500. It may cost 300. It may cost a thousand. You have no way of fixing the cost into the future. You just know that you have to pay no matter what. That's how we ended up $13 billion upside down in the last one. And so, well, you know, and Michael, it's not just that, that I have to pay or you have to pay. It's a future generation that has to pay. And they didn't have a, they didn't have a say. They don't have a say. It's just something that they're going to have to pay because we established it. Right. So if if we're going to have retirement systems for 
employees, then we should be spending today's dollars on today's employees, yeah. not spending future taxpayers' dollars on today's employees. That is ludicrous. Yeah, I would I would support uh, both bulking up the defined contribution plan to make it uh, to make it competitive with outside markets. I would do that, but a defined benefits plan that's a non-starter for me for a variety of reasons. Uh, but let's move on to my final one that I wanted to talk about real quick before we run out of time, and that is this push by many Republicans as well as Democrats for state provided child care for essentially the state paying for you to take care of your child. Now, I've got a lot of issues with this from a philosophical standpoint, from a fiscal standpoint, from a free market standpoint. What are your thoughts on uh, this potential for uh, the state paying upwards of six, seven million dollars a year for people's child care instead of just getting out of the way? Well, it's interesting because Alaskans pride themselves on being independent. And yet at the very foundational level, when we're starting out our families, uh, we're going to re- rely on a nanny state. I mean, at some point in time, we in the past, we have lost our, our um, independence streak and people are focused on being taken care of. And it's frustrating to me because there is a solution in the private sector. And I, I, I um, was a poor college student at one point in time and our family helped uh, with the, with a family budget by watching other kids. As, as I went to school, my wife was, um, a a daycare provider for several kids and, and even drop-in care. Right. So that's a private sector solution to a problem that there is a possibility. There is, there is an ability of parents who have the means to watch other kids to make a little bit of money for, um, doing, a service for other people who need to have um, their kids watched. And, and so the state funding that is, is just a, it's another, um, it's just another way of saying, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm fearful that I can't uh, make it on my own and we need a state government solution to, to uh, make it easy for me. Right. It is just, it's the wrong, it's the wrong thinking. Right. People need to find the solutions within themselves instead of looking to government. This has been, again, my my contention for many years that we've raged multiple generations where the answer to every problem is government. The solution is government, even though in the long run it ends up hurting us more. Um, and, you know, I, I, I acknowledge that there are people out there that are having a hard time with child care, but you need to find another solution. And the question again becomes, it doesn't make sense to continue to have two people working outside the home or finding some other thing or, you know, finding somebody who can watch your kids where it doesn't cost a thousand bucks a month or whatever. But I mean, there are solutions. Stop looking to government to fix all this. I, I couldn't have said it better. That, that is, that is what it is. And, and it's not just a, not just a local issue. It's also a national issue. I mean, the, the reason that we have such high inflation right now is 100% a monetary policy of our federal government who's trying to save the planet, right? Trying to save us from the environment. It, it's, it's ludicrous. Yeah. Uh, we're going to continue here. We've got one final segment dead ahead. Uh, Ben Carpenter is our guest. We're going to be talking about uh, long-term fiscal solutions, the fiscal policy working group, and some of the components that are coming up here in just a moment. Uh, We're going to continue in just a moment right after this. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, we're continuing here. Um, Harold said that I misspoke. He said I said I supported defined benefits, and I think he meant defined. No, what I said was I would support the expansion of defined contributions to match the national level, uh, but that defined benefits were a non-starter for me. So maybe I misspoke or maybe you misheard. But that's definitely, you know, the idea that we can increase our defined contributions to make it more competitive, I'm okay with that, especially since we can figure out what the fixed cost is going to be moving forward versus defined benefits, which is, I mean, that's just crazy. Um, all right, uh, Ben, we're going to jump into the uh, discussion on – the uh, on the uh, long term fiscal plan here, uh, Donna says uh, Representative Carpenter's defined contribution bill, not a defined benefit. If that wasn't clear, I hope it was. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going back here. Uh, see what it is. Um, charter schools simply focus on classrooms and classroom support over all other focus. I would agree with that. That's part of our problem is that we've gotten so wrapped up and you could see this in a lot of the testimony, Ben, in front of these different committees. There's a lot of people there from the administrative and the support staff who all want that money. No talk about what's actually going into the, and and that's the thing. I think it's a misnomer. It's they're misleading people when they talk about BSA. BSA has nothing to do anymore with teaching directly in the classroom. It's all the ancillary support stuff. That's what it's about. We've seen the administrators go up from, you know, three teachers to one administrator to now it's three administrators to one teacher. And you wonder why our student scores are cratering. Yeah, there's a lot of lies that are being told and half truths, which is still a lie to me. Um, You know, number one, teachers haven't had raises. That's complete bogus because teachers in their contracts get step raises periodically, regardless of what performance they do. So to say that they don't get raises is, is a complete nonsense. It, you, don't, you don't have to have an increase of funding at state government in order for, like at the budget level uh, discussion, to have teachers have raises. That's baked in to the, to the system that we have. They're going to have raises. And that's why we see perpetual increase in, in government spending. Right. Well, no, that's baked in. Like you said, the step increase. And if you have any way of if you try and create some kind of I remember we did this at the Fairbanks North Star Borough where we tried to create some meritocratic uh, steps in there instead of just it being an automatic step increase for time and grade. You know, you were there for so long, so you automatically got a raise. We tried to put some meritocracy stuff in there. And, oh, man, the pushback was real. Like we have to produce. We have to actually do better to get a raise. Oh, they were not happy with that. Yeah, we just re- also remember that a, a charter school is still a public school. It's still within the school district. It still receives receives, uh, receives local funding. It still receives state funding. The, the difference is for a charter school in the, the way that it's managed, the, the, who has ownership of the school, who calls the shots, who sets the policies and the procedures and the curriculum, who hires the principal. All of that is done at the local level with parental control. And, yeah. and that's... That's the way you get to this. But you, you were talking about long-term fiscal plan, and this is this is part of it, right? Because if we're gonna if we're gonna make a decision that says we're gonna we're gonna add another five hundred to nine hundred million dollars into education funding, well then we're just making we're just making the decision that 
the long-term fiscal plan is to spend 100% of our uh, permanent fund earnings on state government. That's yeah. the fiscal plan. And that's, that's the driving force of many people here is to, to do just that. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and we have to have it. We have to have a set fiscal amount. We have to know what to count on to be able to make those plans. And that's part of the problem here is that we're in the dark on so many things, whether it's student count, whether it's knowing actually what a defined benefits plan is going to cost, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You can't make, you know, Patton said decision making is easy once you have all the facts. And the problem is we can't make those decisions if we don't have the facts in front of us and don't have an idea of what it's actually going to cost. I mean, it sounds great to, you know, a chicken in every pot, et cetera, et cetera. But as the governor said the other day, which I think is my new favorite quote is the state cannot be the make a wish foundation, which is where we're at right now. I think Patton would also say that uh, you got to make you got to be comfortable with making decisions with only 70% of the facts. Cause yeah. you never have all the facts. Well, it's true. It's true. But you got to have some facts at least in front of you to be able to decide that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just nutty what's happening here. And the fact that we've got the fact that we've got, you know, cons you know, people who consider themselves to be fiscally conservative, pushing for things and ideas like this, uh, this uh, child care bill, it just it boggles my mind. I mean, where, you know, where does the who pays is the question. And nobody seems to be asking that. I mean, Ruffridge did the other day and they all kind of danced around the question. And I was like, well, wow, he asked the question, but nobody wants to answer it because I think it goes back again to what you said. They're all trying to get their part of that long term PFD earnings money before it all goes away, and then they don't care. Uh, 20 seconds, Ben. Uh, yeah, I just, it's there's a difference in my mind and just a human nature difference. If you're going to take money out of my hand that hasn't come here yet, or you're going to come to me yet, or you're going to take money out of my pocket, human nature says, I would rather you take money that hasn't come to me yet than money that's in my pocket. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the crux of the problem that we have. That's what we're fighting for sure. All right, here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right. Welcome back to the program. We're continuing now. Ben Carpenter is our guest. Uh, we're into the third segment. Boy, this is the fastest two hours in radio, isn't it? Uh, we're back to uh, back to our final segment here, and this is where we talk about a long-term fiscal plan. Uh, we talked about the Fiscal Policy Working Group three years ago now, came together, a separate group of people, you know, most conservative, most liberal, everybody in between. They came together with a unanimous decision. Here are the eight or nine things that need to change in government to be able to bring us back on track. And that promptly went nowhere. Uh, they just it's been a it's been an uphill battle to try and get any of it implemented. But you do have some good news for us. HDR seven, which is the constitutional protection of the permanent fund, uh, is potentially up for a vote. Ben, talk to us about where this fiscal plan is right now. Yeah. So um, the recommendation coming out of the fiscal policy working group that I worked on was that we needed to approach this uh, a fiscal solution as a as a complete package, and I pushed that very deliberately last session. And it was very clear to me by the end of the session, or well, maybe even before a couple months before the end of the session, that it was just, it's a hurdle too great for us to, to hop over, to leap over here in the legislature. I mean, if I if you look at a, a four point plan that deals with accountability and efficient spending, settling the PFD, economic growth and revenue generation, 
and you associate the bills to it on, on the side there, you can see that there's it, it would become complex with all of the different bills and we can't put them all together in one bill. Okay, fast forward to this session, I say, okay, well, we gotta find a place to start that people are comfortable with. So I, we, we put forward HDR7 out of, the, out of the ways and means and HDR7, all it does is, is uh, address the Wilikowski case, uh, Supreme Court decision that says that the uh, permanent fund dividend is, is appropriatable. It's not um, something that we can dedicate. So in order to have a conversation about follow on things that we need to talk about, HDR7 just says there will be a dividend. You cannot uh, completely eliminate the dividend program and it will be paid by statute. The legislature will have to figure out what the statute says and what the, the appropriate um, dollar figure is for the for the permanent fund dividend. But as soon as we do that and it's in statute, then that's what the, the government is going to do. And it's no longer in the appropriations process. Right. And I, I believe that we're going to have support within the legislature, especially this year's election year to say, yes, we're going to say that there is going to be a dividend program going forward, because if we do not do this, if we do not protect it in the Constitution, it will be gone. We are looking and our, our financial advice is that we're, we're going to consume the permanent fund earnings on state government. That is that is going to happen. It's a surety. And people understand that in this building. They can see the demand for uh, government spending increases is insatiable and, and eventually it, it will uh, do away with the dividend. And that is not what Alaskans want. So I believe that we'll have the support for HDR 7 and that will force us to have a conversation about what the pro uh, proper amount of uh, government spending is from the earnings reserve account right? and follow on conversations about spending in general and follow on conversations about revenue generation. Yeah. It's, it's a first step. Yeah, because currently the legislature just ignores the statute. That's what happens right now, because the Wilikowski case basically said, well, it's an appropriations issue. You can ignore it. Um, but if it was constitutionally protected and we're not talking about putting the formula in the Constitution, we're basically putting a clause in the Constitution that says they shall pay a dividend based on statute. Now, that means it could be the current formula of the five-year rolling average. It could be a 50-50 formula. It could be a 75-20. It could be a 95-5 program. We don't know, but it would at least force the legislature to have the public conversation about the statute and the and the formula for the new dividend one way or the other, which they have basically just avoided at this point. As soon as the POMV SB 26 came on and you had dueling statutes, they just favored one over the other and ignored the other one. This would force them to do it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the problem is not which levers we need to pull or or do we need to add levers or do we need to take levers away? That's not the problem. The problem is having the courage and finding the will to do something, right? And and that that overcoming overcoming that inertia to do nothing and just keep doing the status quo is the problem. That's the biggest challenge, the biggest hurdle we have. Very human nature, we just don't want to do things that are risky, right? Yeah, the, now moving, the moving away change is risky. So that's anyway, I'm hopeful that we will have folks that want to want to be able to tell their constituents that we are going to have a PFD program going forward. You're going to get to vote on it. By the way, we passed this this uh, resolution out of the of the legislature and it will be on the ballot in November. And you people, Alaskans, will be able to say, yes, we want a PFD program or no, 
keep doing what you're doing. You're doing just fine. Right. And this this version of the bill has a much better chance. Initially, the initial idea with I think it was HDR four or whatever it was was essentially to put the current formula in the Constitution. This one gives the legislature the flexibility. All it does is say that it shall be paid. It shall be transferred based on that statute. And then the legislature can change the statute at its will. Whenever it decides, if it needs to change it, it can and make it work. But this at least enshrines the the PFD itself in the Constitution. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, What else, what other bills? Because again, this is well, this was the warning, Ben, right? You were part of the fiscal policy working group. The warning from the fiscal policy group was don't try and do just one or two things. You have to do all of these things. As you said, because of the single subject rule, although I think that's stupid because I think a fiscal poli- I think a fiscal plan is all one subject, quite honestly, if you look, you know, from my perspective. But trying to do it one piece at a time, obviously. I mean, last year you guys tried to get a spending cap in. You tried to get uh, some other things in in the past, and it's just it's not nothing. It's too heavy a lift to do it one piece at a time in that way. Yeah, well, I think one of the other issues that we have that we we must address is just the the overall cost of government. For our population and and our government size, we're just out of balance. We don't need to have the size of government to do basic government functions that other states you know, per capita are finding less um, costly ways to do. But that is that is a difficult thing to uh, achieve uh, a budget reduction politically in this state. What we need really need to focus on are manage good management policies that help that drive us to better, lower cost, more efficient government that are maintaining the same services that governments maintain all, all across the United States. So I put forward HB 194 that will be out of ways and means here um, shortly, that's a a better management government uh, bill. It is uh, rewriting or clarifying the Executive Budget Act that that would help us become better managers of government. I put forward HB 190 that's that's, um, probably gonna get out of ways and means sooner, and that's a Sunset Commission bill that enables uh, the general public to help the legislature through and and with um, hiring of subject matter experts identify those things in government that that are wasteful that need to uh, go away and those things in government that are that are underfunded and could use some some additional resource right to to rebalance what we're doing so um that that type of discussion is something that that is just deep enough that the legislature doesn't get into right and frankly the administration doesn't have the bandwidth on a day-to-day basis to get into right so if we want to see some systemic improvement we need an organization to be looking on systemic improvements and that helps us get to a more efficient government over time i agree i agree uh any other bills that are moving forward with pieces or parts of the of the working group's plan uh outside of that um no, I'm the, well, I'm the only one that's pushing it. I've still got a sales tax bill out there, but people like to poo-poo a sales tax yeah. revenue generation. That's another part of the of the plan. And, yeah. and I'm telling you, you're, you're either going to have a dividend with a tax or you're going to have no dividend and a tax. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's well. And I, I've, I've said that as well. And uh, and I think, again, free rides die hard. We'll hear that a lot in the coming, uh, in the coming years, for sure. You know, we've got to pay our own way now because we've gotten a free ride for so long. Uh, last two minutes here, Ben, I'll give you the final thoughts for today. Yeah. So if you want a dividend, if you don't want a tax, then you can't be for government spending of health, uh, childcare. 
you, you can't keep asking your government to do things that cost money from, from other people. Yep. Because that's how you end up with a tax. That's how you end up with no dividend. So we as a people culturally have to get back to a, a, a more self-sufficient manner, a more disciplined approach to our own, our own lives and stop demanding that our government do everything for us. Roads, schools, public safety, retirement systems, right? Do, do we need government to be in the healthcare arena? It's going to be more costly than if it's done in the private sector. Right. We really have to take some take some really deep thoughts and ask, what are we actually asking our government to do for us, both locally and nationally? But as was pointed out to me by a member of, uh, of the administration in Juneau here recently, they love the show, but we are the minority viewpoint at this point. Uh, which is the truth, because we've been pushing for cuts for years and there's no interest in the legislature. You've seen it. You've tried to push for a fiscal plan. Unfortunately, it's just, you know, we're fighting an uphill battle here for sure. Representative Ben Carpenter, I appreciate you coming on board and joining uh, with us. Thank you so much for what you do. And we will talk to you again soon. Thank you, Michael, for having me. It was hold, a pleasure. Hold the line for just a sec. Folks, we're out of time. Tomorrow's another day. Brad Keithley, Chris Story, two segments with Story tomorrow. We will continue then. Be kind, love one another, live well. All right, Ben, I wanted to give you, so that you're not up against the clock, any kind of final thoughts you want to wrap up with. I hate that rush, rush, rush at the last minute. Um, but I mean, I, I think that's really, it was, it was, it was, I had an interesting conversation with a minister, a member of the administration because of my comments on Dunleavy's education speech that he gave last week. I'm like, where is this Mike Dunleavy been? Right. I mean, this is strident. This is good. You know, the comments about the make a wish Foundation. they were all, I'm like, this is the governor that we need. Um, and, and it was a long conversation, but the one that really stood out was the fact that I love your show, but you are not the mainstream view. And to which... Ten years ago, I would have said we were probably close to the mainstream view, but today I got to agree with him. We're not. What what we want on this show is only what a small fraction it seems like of Alaskans want, which is a smaller, more limited government that lives within their means, cutting it down to the size and scope that it needs to be able to survive. And we're I mean we're we're not fighting a losing battle, but it's definitely an uphill battle. Well, we're going to run into a fiscal cliff here pretty soon, right? There's there's no getting away. There's no getting around this. You cannot, you cannot put all of your eggs in the baskets of oil and permanent fund earnings and not have your, your budget tied to your economic engine and, and sustain the state spending going forward. You, you are going to run into a problem. And I, 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 don't, I, don't, know how, I don't know how else to uh, communicate it, to get people to understand what's going to happen down here. Right. Um, maybe, maybe we just have to get right up to or fall off that cliff. And then people realize, Hey, you know what? I, there's no free lunch. If right. I'm going to demand all this government service and, and clear roads through, through the winter, because I, I believe I need to have pavement all year long. Right. For example, that's a level of service of road, road, um, clearing that, that we might demand. You, you wouldn't have to necessarily demand that in Alaska, but it comes with a cost. Right. Well, you and I have talked many times about the fact that arithmetic doesn't lie. And she is a stubborn bitch. She will, it will come eat you in the long run. And eventually that's, what's going to happen here. The PFD will be gone. 
They will be demanding more taxes with the sizes growth. And maybe that's maybe that's when things turn around finally. Like you said, maybe we have to go over the edge of the cliff. I would like to avoid that kind of pain. But maybe that's what it's going to take before people go, wait, 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 wait. Um, yeah. But uh, the, again, mathematics the doesn't lie. We're, we're focused myopically on this education piece, this social services piece, uh, taking care of us, of, of uh, taking care of us, right? That's just... <laughs> Where's the long-term vision that says we need an economic engine that's growing, right? We should be investing in low-cost energy, period, end of story. Low-cost energy makes us more competitive on the national national scene, and our economy can grow if we had low-cost energy. That is a major problem that we need to overcome, and yet we get stuck with a budget that's that's bloated because of education and, and social services. It's... Yeah. We need to have a longer, longer term vision and people, people in our communities that are business owners, that are long term, better long term thinkers. You need to speak up. You need to require your elected leaders to have a longer term vision about what's really important. Right. And ask again the big question, who pays? That should be the big question. That's exactly it. That should be the main question that everybody asks for every bill that crosses anybody's desk. OK, this is great. Who pays for it? That's what yep. it should be. Ben, thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate you coming on board. Anytime, Michael. It's a right. pleasure. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, folks, that's it for today. We are out of time. Tomorrow is another one. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Hey, look at that. 33 people have liked the show. If you haven't liked it or hated it or loved it or thumbs it up, whatever, do the thing. Do all the things. We will see you guys tomorrow. Have a good one. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show